Okay, so we'll start with a story. Now, this story is about some of the people involved in this are alive in Crown Heights now, or in different parts of the world. And it's like an interesting Ashgokha Plotis, which began uh, like more than 50 years ago. And a couple years ago, it was finished, the story. Okay, now this is like 12 uh, students learning in an underground yeshiva in Bardichev. When, about when? This goes back like 50 years ago. An underground yeshiva in Bardichev. This was under the communists, and they had to learn underground. Now, uh, the system was that when they were learning, they always had one student on the lookout in case anyone would come, they would uh, give the signal. They would find, uh, they found a place in one of the synagogues and they studied in the Ezra's Nashim, the women's section, and they would close the doors and they would try to study. Now this takes place in 1939. This is when this takes place. How many years ago is this? 60 years, approximately. They would be in their 70s now. Not quite. They would be in their 70s. Okay, so this is on Chavdalet Teves. Chavdalet Teves is the old site of the Alter Rebbe. And they're having a Fabrengen. And uh, this is after full take on the, put on the table some uh, mashka, some vodka. And uh, they put a white tablecloth, they put some candles, and they say Lachayim. And the Mashpia, the teacher, his name was Ramosha, he was talking about the Altarever, the greatness of the Altarever. And how you have to have a Mesiras Nefesh. What does Mesiras Nefesh mean? Um, humble? Uh, for, 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 life, for the sake of life. For Hashem's sake, you're giving your life. Right, you have to be ready to give your life for Hashem's sake, that's right. And then there's a knock on the door. And uh, in one split second, from being in sort such a joyous state, the whole atmosphere turns, and uh, they realized it was knocking. Okay, you understand what that was? They realized that. Yeah. Okay, so um, 
Within a second, they uh, began what they knew always had to do in such a case. They extinguished the light, they took away the vodka, they took away the cocaine, and everyone started hiding in different places, one in the bathroom, one over there, one on top of the books, uh, book uh, shelves, and uh, they were all hiding, and the banging continues until they broke the door. And they came with their flashlights, looking at every crack, and uh, it didn't take them long to uh, find all of them. Someone had told the police about exactly how many had entered, and they know exactly how many they're looking for. It didn't take them long to find all of them. And these are young fellows. These are like 13, 14-year-olds. Okay, so they began their interrogations. They put them in the, in the police station interrogations. And uh, they wanted to find out all the details about this underground yeshiva. Who established this yeshiva? Who's paying for it? And where did they sleep? And so on. Because anyone involved, this was a major crime. If any family would take one of the students to their house to sleep, to eat, that would be a crime. And they all gave the same answers based on what they were told by the teacher, a motion. They said that the Moshe is the one, they put all the blame on the teacher, he enticed us to learn Torah, and he dealt with all our needs. And they all said that they don't have parents, they're all orphans, mm-hmm. no one had to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay, because if they would say yeah, that the... They would go after their family. That's right. It was a lie, yes. The teacher instructed them, put all the blame on me, and you're all orphans and everything. Right. Now, imagine what the teacher, what it took for the teacher to say that. But when he established Yeshiva, he put, you know, make sure to blame me. That's right. That's right. Okay, now there are many details about what happened here. And one of these people wrote a book, which I don't have it, I want to get this book, where he describes everything that happened to him in Russia, but especially this, this chapter. One of them is called Vlog, Chesko Vlog. Okay. It's in Hebrew, yes, it's in Hebrew. The name of the person is Vlog, Chesko Vlog. The book, I don't know. I don't know the name of the book. I heard about the book, and yeah, I think it's... Toldes Hayam Mahaim, I think that's the name of the book. Which means? The, the happenings of those days. Uh-huh. Toldes Hayam Mahaim. Is this a relation to Brad, the one from Butcher Shop? That's him. Yeah, that's, that's him. him? Yeah. So who is he in this story? He's one of the students? He's one of the students that was arrested. Ah. And, and what Butcher Shop is Look at that. Everyone's red oh. In every wedding, he's there, and he's dancing like a young fellow. He's a very special person. One of, the, one of these people, one of the arrested people was Robert Wolchansky's father. He was one of the students. Wow. One of the students. Okay. Okay, so what happened was they um, sent all the, all the students, after days of interrogation, 
so six of them were taken to a local orphanage. Mm -hmm. And the purpose was, it wasn't because they had compassion on them. They wanted to see if parents showed up. No, they no, they knew the parents wouldn't come. They wanted to train them to make them understand how great communism is. And you know, forget oh, about religion and all that. Yeah, that was the point. That was part of the recruitment. Right, that's, that's right. Okay, so they went through terrible, terrible treatment. And they told them, listen, if you're going to eat the food and you'll participate, you'll have a good time. But if you guys are going to be stubborn, then uh, you, you'll be punished. So there's no kosher food Of course not. And they obviously wouldn't participate. So they wouldn't eat the non-kosher food. And uh, they just kept on doing whatever they could do in the prison walls, in the orphanage there. But in the meantime, they were making plans of escape. They were trying to plan an escape. And once a day, they would take them for a tiyul, for a stroll. And they were always looking for opportunities and methods of how to escape. But uh, it was... Uh, ridiculous to try to escape because where would they go to? And uh, these are 13-year-olds, there are guards all around, it would be ridiculous to escape. But while they were planning to escape, there were some students who were not in this orphanage, who somehow weren't placed there, and they made it there, they're going to save those children. One is called Michal Teitelbaum, he's in charge of all the toilet now, one of the schools of Karnaitz. He's one, and there's someone else there. I don't know. I don't know if they're related. Okay, now, the reason this title bomb got so involved was because he was the one that convinced the parent of one of these students to send to this underground yeshiva. And they kept on saying, it's dangerous. And he said, it's on my shoulders. So now that he was arrested, he felt that he's responsible to free them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Michal and his friend were going around the area. They were watching. They saw that the students were leaving every day. And they were trying to plan that the students should escape, but the students never saw them. The students that were in the orphanage never saw them. One day they left the paper, in other words, Michal, the one who was trying to free them, left the paper on one of the paths that he knew they were going to go. And uh, it, it said over there that in a certain place in the area there's Tefillin. We left Tefillin in a certain place. So they noticed the paper, and they located the tefillin. And from then on, every day when they had the straw, they would take turns when no one was watching to put on the tefillin. So they had a system that two at a time, two would go and two would run back, and the whole system putting on tefillin. Once they saw that the papers that worked, those uh, messages, so the messages became more frequent. And they were told different things. They tried to extend the time of the stroll more than an hour. 
and uh, try that uh, one pair should be together with the other pair, all different instructions. And uh, the people in charge of the orphanage, they did not, uh, they weren't aware of all these preparations for the escape. Because it, the, the possibility of escaping was, was, was nil. It was almost impossible to escape. Okay, but since they weren't aware of these plans, so they, the plans went on full force. Okay, then they got to the specifics, they got to the date, the time, the method, and they told the students exactly how and when they're going to do that. Uh, the system would be something roughly to the effect that one pair, they would go out with pairs. So one pair would not come back when they were supposed to, the second pair would go out, and the third, and then they would have to meet in a certain place, which they agreed beforehand, and then they would get cards to go on the train, and that's what they did. All these planning worked, they went, now um, they were hiding, and you can imagine what they went through hiding, these are 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, they're hiding, who knows if they were if they were detected yet and uh, they went to the train station and they had instructions to sit in different places different trains they shouldn't be together in case one gets caught the other might still have a chance and these seconds waiting for the train they'll never forget their whole life everyone was waiting because they could be checked at any time by the attendants of the train But Hashem helped, and the train left, and uh, they came to Kiev, and there Michal met them, and uh, he gave them instructions where to go, and they began another underground yeshiva somewhere else. What happened with the teacher? The, the, the teacher, I think they never, they never heard of again. They never heard of him again. I don't see over here the details, but I, I read the story somewhere else once. I think that they never saw it again. Um, I thought it was the teacher that was organizing that escape. No, the teacher was, was in prison. Yeah. But one of the other students who was in the orphanage, okay. he was the one that organized the escape. He must have been a bit older than the others. I don't know. He was a bit older. <laughs> okay, now going years later, this group of six that were imprisoned, five ended up being in New York with the Rebbe. And uh, this was their lifelong longing, to, and they finally made it. One of them remained in Russia. His name was Rafal. No one knew where he was, and no one knew why he didn't leave with the other five. And these five who were in New York, they just kept on doing their thing. You know, one became a butcher, one was in charge of the yeshiva, everyone did their own thing. And to the sixth one, they never heard of again until 1990, actually 1989. In 1989, a chassid in uh, Moscow gets a telephone call he gets a telephone call. Uh, the one who picks up the line says, my name is Rafal Brook. Rafal Brook, this was this same person. And uh, the Moshe who was in Moscow 
understood that he was an older man, and in short, he wanted to have a shaykhet. The foe was calling from a distant city in Russia. He wants someone, a shaykhet. What's a shaykhet? He wants a shaykh to come to his town so the community should have kosher food. This is a community in Russia where Rafal had been all these years and he had built an underground community where they kept Judaism and kosher and he needed a shaykh there. Okay, then Moshe asks him, what were you doing till now? What were you eating till now? She says, yeah, we have a shaykh but, I don't know, we don't like him that much. He's not that stringent. And now it's Rosh Hashanah time. We want to have a real stringent one. Imagine the headache that he had. It wasn't a question of keeping kosher. But how kosher would you be? That was his headache. Okay. So anyway, they, they got the shaykhet there. And... Um, There's some more details, but there's someone in Spas who's a shlia from the Rebbe. His name is Tzaitlin. His grandfather, his father, was one of the six. Now, the son, who's a shlia from Spas, he heard from his father about the whole story. And he knew that his father was always looking for the sixth one. And he found out about this the fall, this Svas. And he called up this Rufal. And you could imagine the excitement. And they wanted he should come visit the Rebbe. They wanted to take him from Russia at least for a visit to the Rebbe. But he refused. You know, he kept on saying, I know that the other part probably became big student, but I'm, I became a nothing. This is the someone who kept Judaism in the city. So they wanted he should go to Yisrael, to Israel, or to the Rebbe, but he refused. He said, who will take care of the community? Should I just worry about myself? What about my community? Some nothing. Huh? Some nothing, right. Okay. Now the friends, the other five, did everything they could to convince him to come. And he's already an old man, you can imagine. Finally, they, they got him to agree to visit the Rebbe, just for a visit. Okay. But uh, the next part of the story isn't so 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 uh, so joyous. They finally got him to agree, and he said, "I don't know if my heart will be strong enough to to meet the Rebbe and my old friends. I don't know if I'll be able to take the emotional uh, that." So when he finally agreed to travel, he managed to get to Moscow, and he got the proper documents. But over here, he finished his mission in life. Here he passed away. It was like too overwhelming, apparently, for him. And this is where he passed away, in, in Moscow, on the way, finally. Oh, never got to see the Rebbe. This was... It's Alan... Alan Eliezer Tzaitlin. That's the... 
I wonder if it's related to my dear father-in-law because they came from Russia. Oh yeah, I'll know about Seidman in Montreal, but I don't know. There may be a connection way back. They spelled her name C E I T. See? Yeah, but it doesn't matter because it was wherever you were, picked up anything. Okay. Let's get to, I'm going to try to get the book and maybe we'll see more more parts of the story, more details. Okay, we're going to speak about, what are we going to speak about today? About Noyach. Right, for two reasons. One reason is we're up to Noyach. The second reason is because today is the week of Noyach. Parshas Noyach. We're going to read Noyach this week. So we have two reasons. We're in the whole Noyach today. You don't have to open the Chumash. Oh, okay. But we'll discuss the whole Noyach from getting to the end. Okay, you read the Chumash now. We never got through Noyach. We're in the middle of Noyach. I find that the most interesting book. Because all civilizations have a myth about a flood. And that you go back to has a myth about it. When is Rosh Chodesh? Saturday. Friday, Saturday. Friday night? It's a two-day Rosh Chodesh. So it's Thursday night. It's Friday night. Oh, it's Friday night. There's a birthday on Rosh Chodesh. Yeah, we... So, yeah. Right, okay. Oh, so it's a Thursday night. Oh, 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 it's a Thursday night. Okay. <coughs> Noyach speaks about the flood. We're going to be speaking about the flood. What was the purpose of the flood? Cleansing. Right, cleansing. Right, so you already know all this. Let's try something else. So, <laughs> Let me try another question. Maybe I'll stump you. Let's try again. In the beginning of Noyach, now it speaks about Noyach. There's Elo tells us these are the, the descendants of Noyach, and it speaks about Noyach, and it mentions Noyach twice. Noyach, Noyach twice. Okay, you don't have to open the Chumash. So Let's just read the. Those words for you. These are the generations of Noyach. Noyach was a man righteous and wholehearted. In his generation. In his generation. Okay. Okay. Okay, now how many times does it say Noyach in this verse? Twice. Why does it say twice Noyach? Oh. These are the generations of Noyach. Noyach was a tzaddik. What did I tell you? That doesn't explain why it says Noyach twice. That just explains Noyach was a tzaddik in his generation. That explains the word his generation, but why does it say Noyach twice? It could have said these are generations of Noyach who was a tzaddik. Instead of says these are generations of Noyach, stop. Noyach was a tzaddik. Repeat Noyach twice. 
Well, if it says that he's a tzaddik and a tamid, that's a praise by itself. It doesn't have to say it twice, no, yeah? No, this we didn't discuss last time. We didn't discuss this last time. Why twice now we didn't discuss? I say one is for one is for this earth and one is Oh, that was right, yeah. The heaven? Yes. Something to that. That's right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, that's good. Let me try again. We know the Torah is eternal. Nitzchius. It's eternal. Now, the eternity of Torah means different things. One thing it means is the Torah never changes. When the Torah says keep Shabbos, it's never going to change. We're always going to keep Shabbos. That's one explanation of the eternity of Torah. Now, the word Torah itself, literally, what does the word Torah mean? Teach, instruction. Okay. Now, the instructions of Torah are also eternal. Every instruction of Torah is eternal. Now, for example, in last week's parasha, what was the name of last week's parasha? Reishis. Reishis went through a span of about 2,000 years. How many events during these 2,000 years did Reishis discuss? Many, but most of the events that took place was not recorded in Reishis. Why? Because the Torah will only address those issues which are instructions for us eternally. For the events which took place and are not necessarily applicable in each and every generation, the Torah will not say that. Because the Torah is not a history book. The Torah is an instruction book. And will tell us different events because there are instructions there. That's right. That's right. Okay, which tells us that Noyach and the Flood are instructions for us. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. It has to be applicable to our life. Furthermore, we'll go deeper into the eternity of Torah. The eternity of Torah does not just mean that the instructions of the Torah are eternal, but it also means the events recorded in the Torah are eternal. The things that happen are happening now. If the Torah records Noyach and a flood and so on, these things are taking place now, eternally. If not in a physical dimension, then in a spiritual dimension. But they're taking place now, and that's why it's an instruction for us now. So we have to figure out, the question we have is, what is the flood that's taking place now, and what are the instructions for that flood now for us? Did we discuss this? No, no. Okay, next question. We find a verse that says that the flood was called May Noyach, the flood of Noyach. The flood of Noyach. Is this uh, something which Noyach would enjoy? That people say the flood of Noyach? Is this praising Noyach? Why do we call the flood the flood of Noyach? Noyach was the only one that was saved from the destruction of the flood. 
He was the opposite of the flood itself. Why do we call the flood the flood of Noah? Now this we actually did discuss in the past. I don't remember what, 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 what no? That's right. That's the explanation of the Zoyah. That's the explanation of the Zoyah. We're going to discuss today a different explanation. Right. Okay, something, th- this is exciting. <laughs> something <laughs> does uh, penetrate. <laughs> this is good. Very encouraging. Yeah, he didn't pray for the generation like Moshe did. Or like Abraham. He just, w- he just took care of himself. So that's considered detrimental to Moshe. So we say the whole flood is, is a flood of Moshe. That's one explanation. We'll discuss a different explanation today. Okay. Like like Moses, like um like Abraham. Okay, so we're going to go now to understanding the flood in its modern context. Where do we have a flood nowadays? Colorado. Do you mean a literal flood or a or flood of uh, ideas or? Well, I don't. I don't think you mean a regular flood of water. I right, think that's you mean right. a flood of ideas, a that's flood right. of happening. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, there's a verse that says the great waters cannot extinguish the fire. The great waters, such as the waters of the flood, cannot extinguish the fire. Now, what fire are we talking about, and what are the great waters? That's right, the fire of the Neshama. And the great waters, the great waters are Tirdois HaParnosa, which means, what does Parnosa mean? Livelihood, okay. Parnosa, it's a Hebrew word, Parnosa. Parnosa is livelihood, you know, money, food, these things, that's Parnosa. Tirdaisa means the concerns and disturbances of Panasa. The worries, the headaches. That's Tirdaisa The great waters are the disturbances of Panasa. These are the great waters. Now, these waters might be viewed as detrimental for a Jew, for a Neshama, for a Sah. How is it detrimental? Because when you have all these concerns or all these headaches, you can't. You, it's a distraction. You can't really put yourself to serving God, to learning Torah and prayer, because you have all these distractions. <coughs> now this is different than just plain working. If you work and it doesn't bother you, that's not a distraction. The distraction is when you lose sleep over it. Imagine the stocks in Wall Street go down. Okay? <laughs> then what happens? Then you can't pray that day because, or you pray extra maybe, you know? Worried. But you can't learn Torah that day. You know, you're worried. And then if it goes up, you start dancing. So your life is evolving around your happiness and your sadness. What happens to Wall Street? Okay, these are the great waters which might be viewed as a disturbance to serving Hashem. 
Oh, but we're going to see now. We're going to see now that there is a there's a purpose for this. There's a positive purpose, and this is the flood of Michael we're talking about. This is the flood. The flood. You could look at the flood superficially, and then you could dig into the inner dimension of the flood. What is the flood superficially? Destruction. What's the inner dimension of the flood? Purity, mikveh, right? Cleansiness, right? Because a mikveh has to have 40 saw, 40 measures. And likewise, the flood was for 40 days. So the, it wasn't an instantaneous destruction. It was a 40-day water destruction because it also has the element, the positive element of purity, mm-hmm. refinement. Likewise, the tir sapanasa, the disturbance of Panasa, superficially, it disturbs us, distracts us from serving Hashem. But there's an inner dimension, which, will, which we're going to see soon, which leads us closer to Hashem. That's the inner dimension. In order to see what this inner dimension is, there's a medrash that says, when Hashem created the world, so the Torah tells us that on the first day of creation, if you were, if you had a video of the first day of creation, you know, at the end of the first day, what would you see? Adam leaving. There was no Adam on the first day. Oh, it was the, the sixth day. The first day. What would you see? Light. Huh? Light. Yeah, but what do you mean light? Well, what is light going to show you? What are you going to see? The separation. The day no. Day night. You would, if you would have a video, you would see one thing. We see yeah, but if you see light, well, you have to see something. What are you going to see with the light? Nothing. Nothing. No, no, no. What you would see, you didn't see the video. We see the Big Bang. <laughs> you would see water. That's, that's right. That's all you would see because the whole world was covered with water the first day. On the first day. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. We began our Chumash classes from about the sixth day. And we never got to the first day. So I can't blame you. But the fact is, on the first day of creation, there was water. And the Torah actually picks up. After there was water, the Torah says, and then God said there should be light. What preceded light was there was a world already on the first day, and there was water covering the entire world. And then God said there should be light. What was, what was the world? There was an earth, and there was water covering it. Okay? Now, the details of the world, the Torah goes through day by day. But it was a world covered with water. That's true. Hashem didn't say that. But that's a given. And that Rashi explains in Chumash, and we didn't have a class on that. Well, now, now if you want, we should have a class and start again from the place. <laughs> well, at least on that day. <laughs> Maybe on that day. But that's, that's not our topic now. So on the first day, water covered the earth. And if you had the video, you would see water and more water and more water. Furthermore, oh, one second, furthermore, on the second day of creation, if you looked around, you'd also see water. But something happened in the second day of creation. Hashem separated, what did he separate in the second day? The heavens from the earth. The water above and the water below. That's it. The water below, and no, 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 the heaven is in between. 
No, 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 no. The heavens separates the upper water and the lower water. I don't know where it is. Maybe others do know. But well, it is written. We're going to talk about this now, okay? But on the second day, the upper waters and the lower waters were separated. On the third day, Hashem separated the water from dry land. On the third day, if you were watching the video, you would see dry land for the first time. And the ocean. You'd see two things. On the, on the third day. But on the first two days, you saw water. On the first day, you only saw water. The second day, there was a division of the water, separation. Now, what was this separation of the water? What's the upper water and what's the lower water? The upper water is spiritual water. And the lower water is also spiritual water. But it also has a physical counterpart, which is the water as we see it. But the lower water represents something spiritual. It represents pleasure. Pleasure. Enjoyment. That's water. As it says in the first chapter of Tanya, water is all water produces pleasure, produces vegetation and so on. So water represents pleasure. So we have the upper pleasure and the lower pleasure. The upper pleasure is the pleasure in godliness. The lower water is the pleasure which we have in this world. Right. Physical pleasure. The physical pleasure. That's right. That's right. So on the second day, God separated the two waters. In the first day, they were together. In the second day, they were separated. Now the Medrash tells us that after God separated the two waters, the lower water started crying. And the Lord was complaining to God and was saying, I want to be in front of God. We want God now. We want Mashiach. We want to be close to God. That was the cry of the lower water. In other words, it's not fair. Why should the upper water be there and we down here? That was the complaint. And there was a response which we're not going to get to right now. Now, the reason God caused the separation of the upper water and the lower water is because the lower water has an advantage over the upper water. The lower water are the waters of the flood. The lower water are the waters of, of, the, of the disturbances of Panosa. That's the lower water. And the lying, we want to be closer to Hashem. And there's a reason why God did the separation. The reason is God wants the cry of the lower water. That's what God wants. God wants there should be a thirst for godliness. And that's why the Neshama, our soul, came into this world. The Neshama, before it came into this world, where was it? It was in Ganeidah. The upper was Ganeidah. What was the Neshama doing there? It was the upper water. It was enjoying godliness. When the Neshama comes into this world, it's the lower water. Godliness is not apparent in this world. And because it's not apparent, the Neshama is going through a crisis. The Neshama is going through an imprisonment where it cannot express, it cannot enjoy the godliness, the holiness that it did enjoy before it came into this world. So at this point when the Neshama is down here, when the soul comes down here, the Neshama is crying to God, 
I want to be close to God. It's a thirst in the Shema sense. This is precisely the reason the Shema came into this world, to have a thirst for godliness. Now, the analogy we have for this is you have someone that you appreciate, that you love, someone very close to you, a relative or someone. Now, there are two levels of relationship. One level is you're always together. You always enjoy each other. That's one level. There's another level when there's a separation. You go away. Well, the other one goes away. Very far away. What happens when there's a distance? What happens next is there's a thirst. There's a thirst for each other. It's not the same as enjoying each other. Now you get a level of thirst, thirsting to each other. Yearning. Right, the yearning, the thirst. Right. Then when they get together after the thirst, it's a different enjoyment. That's the reason the Neshama had to come down in this world. Hashem wants the Neshama should have a thirst to God. Upstairs in Ghanai then, there was no thirst. It was bathing in the waters of enjoyment, of loving and appreciating God. There was no thirst. It was a given. Down here, the Neshama has a thirst to God. It wants to get close to God. That's why the Neshama came down. And this is why Bali Tshuva are greater than Tzadikim. The Talmud has a discussion, which is greater, Tzadikim or Bali Tshuva? There's a whole debate and dispute. The final word of the Talmud is, Bali Tshuva are greater than Tzadikim. Why? Because the Bali Tshuva has the thirst. The Tzadik doesn't. The Tzadik was always serving God. There's no thirst there. The Bali Tshuva was far away and then recognize God. So the thirst is greater than the tzaddik. So balik tshuva are greater. In a deeper sense, the reason the neshama has to come down in this world is all of us have to become balik tshuva. We all have to have a thirst to godliness. That's the lower waters. That's the waters of the flood. And this is what happens in the six days of the week in contrast to Shabbos. In the six days of the week, the person is involved in worldly matters which is disturbing our attachment to Hashem. And the Nisham is thirsting for Hashem. And what happens next is two things. One thing which the al Rebbe says, and something else which the Mitl Rebbe adds. al Rebbe says, that in the weekdays, when you have that moment to pray, when you can pray to God, that prayer is a thirsty prayer. The way al Rebbe calls it, is it's a prayer from tears that you feel hurt and bitter that you're so far from Hashem and you want to get closer to Hashem. That's the thirst of the weekday prayers. And by the way, the weekday prayers of each day is called the Shabbos of that day. The Shabbos of the day is the prayer of each day. Okay, so we have this thirst to Hashem. Um, I mentioned this before. I was in Yerushalayim, I was in, I was in Jerusalem, I was in Jerusalem, and I was in a store in the afternoon in Meir Sha'ogim. Very Orthodox, yes. Okay, so I go there, and I want to buy something, you know, there was some, and the owner wasn't there. I couldn't figure this out. I go to the next store, I want to buy something else, the owner isn't there. And the stores are open. And the stores are open. Until I figured out, until someone told me that now they're praying Mincha, the afternoon prayer. <laughs> and they didn't even like the stores. 
They left it open, and they were like, everyone understood. Well, where are they? Of course, they're not in Milchen. Like, you couldn't figure this out yourself. Why weren't you? Oh, it was an embarrassment. Oh, don't, don't embarrass me now. <laughs> Either I played already, or I had time. What do you have? But they trusted you. So imagine a person in the middle of work, you know, it's a business day, and then you break away from the business, and you go to synagogue, and you pray. This prayer is precious in the eyes of Hashem. That's why it says that Mincha, the afternoon prayer, in certain ways is more important than Shachas, the morning prayer. Because Shachas, you didn't go to work yet. You went to synagogue and you prayed. But Mincha means you're at work. And then you break away, you go to synagogue, or wherever you are, you pray to God. That's precious. This is very precious in the eyes of God. That's when you're really thirsty to get connected to God. That's what the Rebbe says. The Mitzvah Rebbe added another dimension, a very, a very deep dimension. The Mitzvah Rebbe adds and he says, before you go to pray, you're at your shop and you're working. And for a split second, a thought passes through you. A thought passes, what am I doing here? Why can't I be studying Torah? Why can't I be doing something more? And, and you feel that, you have that feeling of bitterness. And that point, you are a Valchuva. At that point, the purpose of the Neshama coming out of this world has been fulfilled. Just that thought, why am I not closer to Hashem? This is so precious in the eyes of Hashem. There's a verse that says, we say this in Halo, it says that precious is in the eyes of Hashem those who die for Hashem. Yoko bein Hashem so Chassidus explains, dying for Hashem doesn't mean literally dying. Dying means that you take the whole world in your pocket and you say, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I want to get closer to Hashem. You're dying in your physical sense. You don't want, you come to the realization, it, this is not where it's all at. There's something greater. This feeling, you're not in the synagogue, you're in your shop. This is the feeling which is so precious in the eyes of Hashem. It's a bitterness. For well, this bitterness describes the neshama. Why am I not closer to Hashem? Now this is what takes place six This, ugh, what am I doing? Why can't I get closer to Hashem? This is the light which comes from the darkness. And this is why we light candles on Friday. We light candles on Friday. What does, this can what does this light represent? This light represents that, not the regular light, this is the light from the darkness. From the six days, we have the additional light, which is now going to shine on Shabbos. And Shabbos, we're going to have this attachment to Hashem, which came from the darkness. And this is a connection to Noyach. Noyach is Shabbos. What's the connection between Noyach and Shabbos? Because the word Noyach means rest. Shabbos means rest. The Oculus who translates the Torah in Aramaic, resting. Noyach is a level of resting. And we're not going to get involved in this right now, but on Shabbos there are two levels of Shabbos. The Zoya says low Shabbos, the higher Shabbos. There are two levels of Noyach, the lower level and the higher level of Noyach. So what is Shabbos? Shabbos is the attachment to Hashem. 
Now, we have, we have, everyone goes through, uh, through problems. Everyone has problems. And you just used to say everyone has a peckle. Everyone has a peckle. What's a peckle? A package. Everyone has a package. An yeah. agenda. There's a verse in Tehillim that says, Hashleich al Hashem Throw to God your peckle. Hashleich al Hashem Throw to Hashem your peckle. Your peckle. You give up your burdens to Hashem. That's right. Yeah, right? Okay. Now, we all pray that we shouldn't have any problems, of course. You're supposed to pray for that. But after the fact, the person has problems, you have to be able to see the good part of it. The good part of the lower waters. The good part of the flood. The flood of Noyach. The good part is that there's something tickling us inside, we're not satisfied. Something is wrong. Why do we have all these problems? Why can't I just serve Hashem without any disturbances? This feeling is a sign of the neshama being healthy. When the neshama has a thirst to Hashem. They awaken the thirst. They, They have the power of awakening the thirst. Okay? When you're so far away from Hashem, and you have another problem, another problem, and it bothers you, I can't serve Hashem properly. This disturbance, I can't serve Hashem properly, this is precious in the eyes of Hashem. This is what an Hashemah is. In certain ways, yes. In certain ways, yes. That's why it says that poor people, when they pray to God, that's a higher prayer than rich people. Tfilah la'ani, one of the chapters of Tehillim begins, Tfilah la'ani, the prayer of a poor man. The, pra- the poor man's prayer is a deeper prayer. Why? Because he's a bro- he has a broken heart. You know, you have this famous saying from one of the tzaddikim, there's nothing more complete than a broken heart. You ever heard this before? Yeah. There's nothing more complete than a broken heart. A broken heart is healthy. It's healthy. Uh, why is it healthy? Because someone has a broken heart, he's sensitive. Someone has a broken heart, has more sensitivity. But he suffers, yeah. but that person suffers. Yeah, we're not praying for suffering. We're looking at what good part is there to suffer. Okay? That's why it says that, that's why it says that women have more compassion than men. Does it really say that? I think it says that. Okay? It said they're more spiritual than men. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, one of the reasons is that's right because women have, to, to a large extent, more headaches. <laughs> bring up children in different things, dealing with a husband, whatever it is. Huh? Okay. 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 Okay, and this is the concept of a Balshuva. A Balshuva has more thirst to God, and furthermore, a Balshuva has to use all the talent and vitality that was used in other things has to be now channeled into holiness. And this is taking the additional life from the darkness. So this is connected to the birthday that's coming up. <laughs> The birthday, 
where I don't want to speak, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but the birthday has to do with the candles also. It has to do with Noyan. It's all connected. Because when someone has talents in writing and different things, all different talents, it has to be not suppressed. You know, sometimes you have this problem that people come by like Shuba and they want to throw away their past, forget about it. You know, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to take the talents you have, the energy you have, and redirect it into something positive, into something holy. If someone has a talent in writing, it shouldn't be suppressed, it has to be used. If someone has a talent in dancing with other things, it has to be used for holiness. Everything has to be channeled for holiness. <laughs> what about the third? Okay, and this is what lighting candles this is what lighting candles represents. It represents the six days of the week. All of this comes into the fire of Shabbos. It's the light which comes from the darkness. And this is one of the reasons the Rebbe asked us so much that we should make sure that every Jewish woman and girl should be lighting candles every Friday before sunset. And it's a very important mitzvah, not only for ourselves to do it, but we should make sure others do it, our neighbors. Okay, and this is one of the reasons that we all get this present on, on a birthday. This is contrary to common custom. Okay, but the reason we have this is not to put it on the shelves, but we should try to find someone who doesn't like candles yet, they should start lighting candles. And this is a very big schus, merit, for the one who lights, for us who got them to light, and for the one who gave it to us. And uh, we'll just want someone to have questions, and we should be zayich, and we should all merit to have a good year. It's the beginning of the year still. And we should utilize the energies of Tishrei for serving Hashem in a better way for the rest of the year. And Hashem should give all of us a good year. For Gashemis, for Luchemis, Hashem should grant us all our, all our needs, all our desires. Before questions, number one, tonight is a class of Abbas Yisrael, from 3 away, 8.30. Give him a Rabbi Davinsky. Okay, I'm just reading. I'm just reading the message. And number two, we have a general question for our Wednesday classes, which perhaps we should t- take a moment or two to discuss. We have two choices. We can continue the way we went till now, continuing the Pashas Noyach verse by verse. You know, it took us like three years to get through Breishit. Then we can go through the flood. The other choice is, every week, let's discuss the Pasha of the week. That would be nice. That would be the other choice. Next week is like These are the two choices. What, what would you prefer? What's, uh, I like the Pasha. How many want the Pasha of the week? Raise your hand. How many want? How many want the Pasha of the week? Raise your hand. They read it in the Jewish news. Say, how many want the Pasha of the week? Both. Ooh. I don't want to lose it. No, no, it's not. You know, Rabbi Warren gives a class and he jumps around for one. And, and, and no, I can't follow it. She goes different towns. Well, maybe we'd ha- we can cut out the story 
and no, have. No. See, I like your stories. I like, I like the stories too, but if you want, yes, I want it all. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. You can write a note, you can write your name, whatever you want. No. And some do, but we don't. No, they, we don't have a double ring ceremony because, because if the man gives the ring to a woman, another woman gives it back, it makes the, the, the agreement nullified. Right? That's why they don't have a ring. That's why they don't do a double ring ceremony. Oh, they just do it Because the idea of a marriage, he buys her with the ring, right? And if she were to give back another ring of equal value, it would be like nullifying the marriage. Well, this question is a good question, but this just like requires a quest class by itself. Yeah, I told her I could come back. I told her I'd find out I'd come back. So I'll just, I'll just in short mention one point. Uh, I was discussing recently with someone who was contemplating marriage. He, he's a rich man, and he's contemplating marriage, but he says he's not sure. He's not sure because what happens if we divorce? So he said, you know, asking someone, why don't you divorce? So divorce is the problem. Yeah, but then she'll have to get like half my money, whatever. Is this a question? Should we marriage? Where does it come from? Yes, me, not you. Okay. So, so I, okay. Now, I was thinking then. I was thinking then. Why would she get half the money? Why? He's making the money. Why would she get half the money? Well, so what? You know, you marry someone for a couple of years, why should she get up the money? Well, what's the explanation for that? Huh? 
Okay, you got a certain percent, okay? Well, why? Why should he get anything? They were one, but now they're separated. What do you mean they were one? I mean, maybe spiritually they were one. But legally, why legally do they get half? Okay. Okay. Yeah, but that's like a general rule. Okay. The Talmud says one of the sages, Rabakiva, Rabakiva went for how many years to study Torah? No. no. How many years? Twelve, and then another twelve, right? When he came back, his wife, his wife was trying to see him, and the students didn't let her get close to him. So he said to the students, "My Torah and your Torah all belong to her. She's the one that, that gave, gave gave all of us the Torah, right? She wasn't the famous one, but he attributed all the the merit all goes to her." So sometimes you see that the merit is not what's outstanding. You know, it's on the side. It's the foundation, like the foundation of a house. Foundation of a house, you don't see. But without the foundation, there's no foundation of a Jewish house is the wife. She's the foundation. You don't always see it. The foundation of Rabbi Kiva was his wife. The found, even Lee, even civilly, they realized that the wife should get a certain amount of money. Because you know that the foundation of a marriage of, of a person is the wife. But you don't always see the foundation, you see the structure. When you speak about Avram and Sarah, the Torah talks about Sarah. But it's much more about Avraham. Not because Avraham was more important. On the contrary, it says that Sarah surpassed Avraham in, in prophecy. She surpassed Avraham. They once had a debate. We'll get to this one, one day. They once had the debate, Abraham and Sarah, Hashem said, listen to Sarah. Why? Because she surpasses you in prophecy. But the Torah doesn't speak a lot about Sarah because she's the foundation of the house. And in Jewish life, the foundation, you don't always see the foundation. But that doesn't in any way diminish the importance of the wife. Okay? That's in short, uh, one concept to deal with. Well, it's it's very vague uh, how obscure to be. It's very vague because. Sometimes you have to be outspoken, and sometimes you have to speak up and you have to be heard. But as a rule, the the, the purpose of a woman is to be a found to build a husband, to to build things from the inside. That's the purpose to build from the inside. Part of it, but it's mostly uh, yes. The Alter Rebbe has a Maimon Maimon Rabbin. Which there are many. You mean the Rebbe's Maimon Rabbin? No, there's one from the Alter Rebbe where the Rebbe took from the Alter Rebbe. This was mostly from the Alter Rebbe and the Mitla Rebbe. We mostly spoke about today. Well, the Alter Rebbe in Torah Oil, which is the Kudai Torah, the same thing, and the Mitla Rebbe, this is uh, your book. 
Okay, there, there are two ways. Either I could just put it there or want to read it to you. I don't know which is the better way to do it. Either way is okay. But you want to go over there? I don't know. Let me look at my calendar. I have a lot of things in there. A lot. Let's come back. Thank you all. Ladies, whoever's going to that Brandeis thing, I want to especially thank you for coming today because I know it's a busy day for you. Because I told Evelyn, don't ever make plans on a Wednesday. I don't care what it is. But we have some time to do both. You know, it's hard to time to do both. I will tell you. Um, I think my daughter, she's for the mayor. And that's Donna Bob. This is for the letter of the life. Some people want that to get stuck over there. Oh, okay. Are you going to do it a bag? I don't want to. Yeah. Just know Okay, what do you want? Okay, what do you want? Okay, what do you want? Okay, I think she wants to do it. She wants to do it. As far as I know. Mrs. Dubinsky is on Tuesday from 1 o'clock to 1.45.